with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy. Fran, what was the scene like at Lincoln Financial Field on Halloween night? Uh, lots of tricks, some treats, but a phenomenal game. No question. Proud showing. I know even Coach Rule said there's no moral victories. Nonetheless, uh, Temple is getting plenty of respect, still ranked 23rd. Even despite the loss, tough loss in Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, the first time in program history that they were ranked for three weeks in a row. Really? Uh, which is uh, which is big. But it was an unbelievable atmosphere. And so, uh, such a great weekend for the university and for the program from uh, from Friday Sports Center to Saturday College Game Day, which was an outstanding atmosphere. And a lot of the hosts from College Game Day have said in local interviews that it was the best set, the best atmosphere that they've had really? in College Game Day, just being able to do that down in Independence Hall and – uh, you know the the showing there from Temple there, and then going to the atmosphere, the atmosphere at the stadium. You know, going into a game like that, I think a lot of people would have expected that. You know, it would have been a pro Notre Dame crowd. It would have been you know a lot of green, a lot of gold. No, like that that was a pro Temple crowd. Uh, you know, it definitely more than half full. And obviously, look, you know, Notre Dame travels well to begin with. You had all the people on the East Coast that were Notre Dame fans that don't typically get to see that team. Uh, you know, so you had a lot of people traveling in, but. Just such a great atmosphere and, you know, a, a sign of good things to come for college football in Philadelphia. So what was the emotion like when Deshaun Kaiser gets a game-winning touchdown there? Just a couple minutes left. And it's Will Fuller, a right. player we've talked about here on the podcast before. What was what was that feeling well, like? Well, what was great was that, and this is what, one of my favorite things about going back and watching Temple, is uh, I'm on the sideline with a bunch of guys that were there when, when I was there. Uh, that played and you know so just catching up with all the guys and watching the game and trying to see it through their eyes and we're all calling out plays you know before before they happen and it was before that play and I said watch for watch for the fade here because you could just see Kaiser look over at Fuller it was right I mean we were right there in front of it uh and it was cover two I mean it was simple cover two coverage and you know he didn't get a jam at the line of scrimmage he catches the ball you know the safety was late to get over and didn't make a play on the ball uh it was it was a tough touchdown but you know, look, it, it was one of those things where if you told me, because I was there when we announced that this game was going to happen, you know, in 2015, Notre Dame coming to Lincoln Financial Field. If you told me five years ago that uh, Temple was going to host Notre Dame, prime time, ABC, 8 o'clock, have college game day, and you were going to lose by, you know, the way that Four they points, did, yeah. you'd take it. You know, but it's still, like you said, no no moral victories. It was there to be there to be had. Still a great weekend for the university. So are you on the on TV broadcast copy? <laughs> in the background like, i might no, i might no. I, there were a couple that were right in front of me that i probably showed up so if you see uh i'm gonna go back and watch the tape now just to see can you, you, might, sp- you may see me a we should times. ask we, uh, listeners of the podcast if you can find <laughs> fran duffy in like the where's waldo yeah if you can find fran i will send you autographed eagle swag there you go there there's your there's your homework you can tweet us uh, at fduffy3 or at eagles insider either one would be perfectly fine so that you got to show the screen grab for proof. Of, of course. That, what are they going to respond? Exactly. Oh, yeah, I saw him, and then that's it? No. <laughs> no, definitely have to do it. So um, so we'll look uh, at one of the key matchups from that game. Uh, our pick six this week, the college football 
playoff rankings are going to be announced for the first time on Tuesday evening. We were filming this on Monday uh, following the Eagles' bye week. Uh, So we will look at the players who will play a big role down the stretch in determining who makes the final four there. And uh, our draft mailbag, some great questions. Uh, The aforementioned Kaiser is uh, one of those players that's brought up in the uh, mailbag. So we'll get to those and a whole lot more. But first, we're going to start things off with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so to start things off here in Draft Buzz, we're going to go through Fran's weekly must-read, Saturday Scouting. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to take one last look back at the Temple right. Notre Dame game. Positive result, at least from this game. You wanted to look at the matchup of Jahad Thomas, a running back for the Owls, going against the uh, dynamic defensive duo Jalen Smith and Elijah Schumate, the safety. Well, we didn't get the full matchup because Schumate was ejected. Yeah. <laughs> The course of the game, so so it was sort of the uh, one-on-one matchup with Smith, uh, but Thomas more than held his own, had 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown in this matchup. Yeah, and the the offensive line for Temple had a, had a really tough matchup with this Notre Dame defensive line, and that was a big part of why Thomas was held to just 82 yards. But you know, you watch Thomas and seeing him in person again, you see the quickness, you see the lateral agility, the, the ability to make people miss, shows great vision. It was a great run on that uh, fourth and two touchdown call, the toss to the right side uh, where he made a big play. But you saw Jalen Smith just playing all over the field too. The kid is just a phenomenal athlete for the linebacker position. He's got great instincts. He's physical downhill, had a number of big hits in the game as well. So really impressive players on both sides. Jalen Smith we've talked about in the past is a guy that's probably going to go in that top half of the first round range, I would expect when he does decide to enter the draft. Yeah. All right, second matchup, another running back. We're going to go to the SEC. You wanted to look at Texas A&M's Trey Carson going against South Carolina, and Carson had 122 yards and a touchdown. Uh, even though the star of this game ended up being the freshman quarterback Kyler Murray, who actually led the team in rushing yards as the Aggies got the 35 to 28 win over the Gamecocks. Yeah, and you look at Carson, a guy that very, very physical downhill, and that's his calling card is his ability to break tackles, his ability to stay square to the line of scrimmage uh, and find holes in the offensive line. He's not the greatest athlete in the world, and that that affects his value, I think, on third down as a receiver. I think he can still get a little bit better as a blocker, but his, his ability to get downhill break tackles, be physical inside between the tackles uh, is going to be his calling card moving, moving forward. And I know the one guy that I spotlighted as you know, being the number one guy in this matchup was going to be South Carolina linebacker Sky Moore, a guy that I watched early in the season I came away so impressed with because he just reminds me of some of those undersized linebackers that we've seen in, the, in years past here. Telvin Smith, I remember from uh, Florida State a couple years back, to hear Whitehead who's now making plays in Detroit. You can be undersized in the NFL as a linebacker as long as you're willing to be able to be physical and as long as you have the instincts to kind of make up for it. Uh, I think that Moore is one of these guys that uh, has that kind of ability to play as a three-down linebacker and be physical downhill and not just a one-trick pony. Uh, The third matchup, it's uh, one of the most talked about wide receivers in the nation, Laquan Treadwell of Ole Miss. Did you have the comparison over the weekend? Alshon. Yes. Yes. Was that from you? That it's was me. Yeah. The two two guys I follow primarily for draft stuff, especially during this point in the year before we get to the real build up. Uh, three guys: Tony Pauline, yourself, and Josh Norris. So I know one of you guys had the uh, the comparison there, and I saw that come across. That was very intriguing to say the very least. 
uh, notably because of the weight change, because it came out this week that Treadwell shed, I believe, 13 pounds from something, his listed, yeah, or something like that, yeah, from his listed weight. So you're interested to see how that will affect him moving forward from a movement standpoint. Sure. And, you know, so when I watched him last year, and it, he had the injury against Auburn exactly a year ago, actually. It was a year to the day almost. Uh, it was November 1st of 2014 where he, I think he was broke his leg and dislocated his ankle or you know something along those lines. It was a really gruesome injury. But you know, went back and watched him before that game. I got to tell you, I, w- I wasn't overly impressed. I saw a guy, you know, obviously he's big and he's physical at the catch point, and, that, and that's always good. But I didn't see a guy that was a top five pick because I didn't see a phenomenal athlete. Uh, sloppy route runner, a lot of the same issues that you see with some of these college receivers. But, again, the athleticism was a concern. Played at over 230 pounds last year. So I knew that he got down to the, to the low teens. You know, he's, I think he's listed at 212 this year. Uh, and so I was excited to watch him, and I got, got a chance to watch him recently uh, from 2015. And he moves a lot better. He's gotten a lot better as a route runner as well, and that's a good thing you know, moving forward for him. Still, I want to see him get a little bit better in that area. The other area where I wanted to see him really improve, and it's funny because we talked about it in the past with Josh Dotson from TCU, mm-hmm. a guy that uh, has the size, had the ball skills, had the strong hands at the catch point, but there were two areas that you wanted to see him improve. It was getting off the line of scrimmage and press coverage and then route running. Dotson didn't improve getting off the line of scrimmage. Is still kind of that same guy, but it got better as a route runner. Had those same two questions with Treadwell, and I thought Treadwell got so much better at the line of scrimmage, and he gets off press in so many different kinds of ways uh, this season. So, you know, I think that was an area of focus for him coming into the year. Still want to see him improve as a route runner. So Treadwell impressed me with his athleticism. Got, you know, I think he moves a little bit better than he did last year. I like that he got better at the line of scrimmage, and he's always been so good at the catch point. He's deceptive with the ball in his hands as a, as a yards-after-catch guy. Uh, I still don't know if I would call him a top five kind of receiver, but uh, I think he's got kind of has that Alshon Jeffrey type game, you know, to, uh, moving forward into the NFL. It's interesting to make that comparison, especially in light of Jeffrey's amazing highlight reel catch yesterday. Sure. For the Bears, so uh, Treadwell had seven catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown as Ole Miss beat Auburn. Uh, the next one featured the nephew of former Eagle Javon Curse, Jaron Curse, Clemson safety. Going against tight end David Greenwich of North Carolina State. Uh, Greenwich had seven catches for 82 yards in a touchdown. However, Clemson remained undefeated, getting the victory. Yeah, and this was the by far the biggest game of the season for Greenwich, who coming into the year, I saw as a guy that I thought Arrow was pointing up on him. This was his first big performance of the year, so we'll see if that production continues for him. But uh, a guy that, as I touched on the piece, Big, physical, has a great frame. I think he's listed at 275 pounds, might be even more than that. So he's got outstanding size. And his athleticism for that size is really impressive. Uh, I can remember a number of big plays that he made against Florida State last year that were just really, really impressive in space. Uh, I think he's got good hands. He shows the ability to succeed as a blocker as well. Going up against Curse, who... A lot of people, and again, we've talked about this in the past at the safety position, everyone's trying to find that next first-round safety. Yeah. And right now it seems that Curse is probably the most popular in terms of a potential first-round pick. I don't know that I'm ready to go there with Curse. He's 6'5", 225 pounds. It's, it's ridiculous I mean, it, size. It's ridiculous size for a safety. And you're almost thinking, like, you know, is, is he an outside linebacker? You know, can he play as a strong side backer at the next level? I've watched a little bit on him. I want to watch more before I even give a, a an early judgment and especially with the safety position we've talked about in the past. You have to watch you, you three have to games watch so many before to get, you get a sense. decent evaluation, of exactly. course. Exactly. So uh, I've watched a little bit of it. I want to watch more. 
I don't see a guy that's a first-round pick yet, so I want, I want to watch a little bit more. But he's a name that everyone's talking about as a potential first-round pick because of that size, his ability to come downhill and explode through ball carriers. My question will be, what is his range like off the hash? What is it, does he have the ability to play in space and coverage? Is the name Curse helping him out? Are a lot of people getting caught up in the fact? I think that media he has wise, that? probably, yeah, and that that won't be a factor once you get into you know the actual uh, scouting process and evaluation mode for coaches. But uh, I think right now, for sure, and that and with the with the outstanding size, a lot of people are intrigued. I'm sure. I would think it probably plays a little bit of a factor, maybe in the in the scouting process. So I don't know. I mean, I, they play different positions. You know, his cousin was Phil, uh, Philip Buchanan, a former NFL defensive back. So I guess he's got that going for him too. But you know. It, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm interested to watch more because the the tangibles are very intriguing. Maybe at least it gets some notice. Sure. No to question. To start, and then maybe from there you can do the true evaluation. Absolutely. So, but maybe you get that name. You're like, well, you saw what Javon Curse did as a rookie in Tennessee. Can right. he do the same things? Uh, obviously, like you said, different positions. Uh, the last matchup you had, another relative of an NFL great, Brandon Shell, the great nephew of Archell, the Pro Football Hall of Fame tackle. Uh, going against Miles Garrett, uh, another edge rusher who we talked about before here on the podcast. So another matchup from this uh, South Carolina Texas A and M showdown. Yeah, no question. And Garrett, uh, we've talked about as one of the most explosive edge players in the entire uh, country. Really, I mean, he's a true sophomore, so he's not eligible for this draft, but has future top five, top ten pick potential. Excited to watch him develop over the next year and a half and potentially two and a half years uh, if he decides to stay as a senior. And then Shell, a guy I watched last year. Kind of that prototypical right tackle, and we've talked in the past that there's not much of a difference between right tackle and left tackle at this point. But uh, Shell's got a little bit heavy feet, but he has the contact power, the ability to move people in the run game. He's got really good length for the position. So I see him as kind of that uh, that prototypical right tackle, good run blocker. Excited to dig into deeper, you know, dig into him a little bit deeper this year because he made the move from right tackle to the blind side this year. So excited to dig a little bit deeper on him. All right, so a little something different this week here. wanted to start looking at some prospect rankings. And uh, I mentioned Josh Norris, a uh, friend of the podcast, a little bit earlier. And he released his uh, top players at each of the front seven positions on defense. So I figured, you know, ask for him if he wanted to take a look and maybe kind of offer his thoughts and kind of go through them here. And since we've already talked about Jalen Smith from Notre Dame, he is ranked as the number two linebacker overall behind Miles Jack of UCLA, who, of course, as we've discussed here on the podcast, is done for the season due to the meniscus injury, uh, has already declared that he will come out for the upcoming draft. So Jalen Smith as a number two linebacker, Darren Lee of Ohio State, number three, Reggie Ragland of Alabama, number four, another player who you like quite a bit there, Fran. And then number five to round the top five, Leonard Floyd from Georgia. Sure, and I know that Josh looks at Floyd as a, as a stand-up linebacker. Uh, I still look at him as an edge guy. I, I think when it's all said and done, even though he plays inside linebacker for – uh, for Georgia, I think when it's all said and done, he's going to be an outside linebacker, a pass rusher in the NFL. Because even now, when they go to their sub packages, very often he's lining up as a pass rusher for Georgia. So a guy that I'm very, very excited about. But you talk about those top four guys, uh, and Floyd obviously is an outstanding talent as well. I think he's got a top twenty pick upside. But um, you know, when you talk about those top four in Jalen Smith, Miles Jack, Reggie Ragland, and Ron Lee four just incredible talents for the linebacker position. I think you're kind of you're splitting hairs one way or another as to who, you know, what that order is. You can go any a number of different ways, but 
you know, Miles Jack, I would say, is probably the best of them all just because of the versatility. Jalen Smith, I, I love Reggie Ragland as well, so I probably would rank Ragland, Ragland ahead of Lee. But, uh, again, I think you're kind of splitting hairs. All four of those guys are outstanding players. Uh, if they all do decide to enter the draft, which Ragland's already in as a senior, we've already seen Miles Jack declare. Now it just comes down to Jalen Smith and Deron Lee. If you see those two guys enter, it's, you're going to see four of these off-the-ball linebackers go, I would imagine, in the top 20. Well, Josh says in his piece that it's no coincidence that linebacker and running back are the two most talented positions right now in college football. Are there any names on this list, you know, at least of these top five guys who you want to see or you think deserve to be mentioned? Outside of that top list? Yeah. You know, I think that Sky Moore is a guy that when I watched him, and we talked about him a little bit earlier in, in, in regards to that matchup against Texas A&M, I watched more and thought that he was pretty close to that group. Uh, I've watched Terrence Smith from Florida State, who I'm really, really high on as well. In fact, when, when I watched him back in the, in the summer, I thought that he was pretty close to Ragland. I thought Ragland was better, but I thought he was pretty close. Uh, so I could see both of those guys, especially if you, you've got all these other players getting drafted ahead of them. Somebody's going to get a steal in Terrence Smith from Florida State. Someone's going to get a steal in Sky Moore if he does decide to declare. And, and now with, uh, with the coaching change at South Carolina, uh, that could very well may be the case. So uh, it'll be very, very interesting. I think that this is a very good group overall. We haven't even mentioned guys like Scooby Wright from Arizona and Sua Cravens from, uh, from USC. There are a lot of different players at this linebacker position around the country that are making plays. Uh, Cravens came in at number nine on his list. Scooby Wright was 10th. Sky Moore, 14th interesting. in his rankings there. Looking at the edge rushers, Joey Bosa of Ohio State, number one, followed by Shaq Lawson of Clemson, Noah Spence, number three, Carl Lawson, who has not been able to play due to injury, is fourth, and a player that you talked about on the podcast last week and in your Saturday scouting piece, Kamoko Ture of Rutgers, number five. Sure, and Josh was the guy who actually turned me on to Ture, so okay. not, not surprised to see him uh, rank that high there. I just got a chance to watch Shaq Lawson. I'm going to save it what I thought of him because we're going to talk about him at pick six. Mm-hmm. But, uh, very, very intriguing guy. Carl Lawson is a guy I watched early in the season in that first game of the year uh, against Louisville before he got hurt. Very, very intriguing talent. You know, the edge rusher position, I think, this year, it's a little bit lacking. There's not a lot of guys that you would say. And I would say Floyd, again, I would put Floyd in this list, and I would, I would yeah. say Floyd is probably number two behind Bosa uh, and closer than people think. They're different kinds of players for sure, but – uh, I would be interested to see where he's got Alex McAllister from Florida, who's always flashed every single time I've watched them. He's got outstanding length. I think he's 6'6", 230-some uh, pounds, so he's a little bit light for his size. But uh, a guy that's got the ability to bend and accelerate turning the corner, has the ability to be a very disruptive pass rusher. I haven't studied him solely yet, but whenever I watch a guy like Jonathan Bullard, who I love from Florida, anytime I've watched the Gators on TV, McAllister has always flashed in the ability to be disruptive, uh, especially against the pass. All right, speaking of Bullard, he's number four among Josh Norris's defensive linemen, the top five, Robert Kimdichie of Ole Miss, who we talked about last week on the podcast, number one, Andrew Billings of Baylor, number two, Jonathan Allen of Bama, number three, Bullard at four, and DeForest Buckner from Oregon. Number five. Very interesting because Buckner, a lot of people have seen as you know and talked about as a potential top ten, top fifteen pick, very much like his former teammate Eric Armstead last year. You know, Buckner is very, very impressive because of his size. I I just love Bullard though, and Bullard has just so disruptive against the run. Every single time I watched him, regardless of who they're playing against, uh, he has just made play after play after play. He's not an outstanding pass rusher. And what's funny is when I watch him, even though I love him. 
I still don't know what his best position is at the NFL because he's 6'3", uh, I believe he's listed 280-some pounds, 283 perhaps, uh, but the ability to win in a number of different ways, and they line him up all over the formation. Sometimes you'll see him as a three technique. You might see him as an outside defensive end. Last year, I remember seeing him as a, in a two-point stance as, a, you know, as an outside linebacker. They'll shift him in the nose tackle. I mean, he can win all over the field, and he's got the, that body where he could grow and add weight and be a three technique, or he could lose a few pounds and then shift and be that kind of strong side defensive end. Yes, he, he could play in a 3-4. He could play in a 4-3. He's got outstanding versatility, so I think he's got the ability to make an impact on a number of different schemes at the next level. Any players here on this list or the edge rusher list? We're not in the top five that... You know, I think Jerron Reed from Alabama is a guy that... And we'll talk about him coming up. I think he definitely deserves to be in that group, uh, in that top five list. You know, I think that this is a good group overall. I've talked in the past about Charles Tapper from Oklahoma, a guy that I'm a big fan of. Uh, Very similar to Bullard in that he's got good athleticism for his size. He could line up at a number of different roles in the next level. Those would be two guys that come to mind. All right, so let's transition to pick six and learn more about some of Fran's favorite prospects leading up to the end of the college football season. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, for Pick 6 this week, as, as I mentioned earlier, that the first college football playoff rankings will be unveiled Tuesday night. Top four teams go into uh, the chance, the quest for the national championship. We still have a couple of weeks before we get to those games, but you know, I wanted to ask Fran... Who are six players who will factor in how the final four will be determined when all is said and done? And just take a quick look at the top seven, which was unchanged from the previous week in the AP Top 25. Ohio State's number one, followed by Baylor at two, Clemson at three, and LSU at number four. So if you go by the AP Top 25, those would be your final four. TCU, undefeated, but just on the outside at five. Michigan State is six, and Alabama is seventh. They are the top one-loss team, and there are five other undefeated teams, starting with Iowa at number 10, going down to Toledo at number 20. So, Fran, who are six players who will have a big say in what's going to happen in the final month of the college football season when it comes to determining who will make the final four? Well, this was an interesting exercise, so I thought it was a really good topic that you wanted to bring up. And you know, obviously, you have to start with the number one team. You got to start with Ohio State, and with the news over the weekend that JT Barrett uh, had the deal or the the OVI, I believe it is what it comes down to. He's going to miss this pe- this next week against Minnesota. And in Minnesota, I know a lot of people, you know, aren't really aware of what they are as a program, but. Uh, Jerry Kill, who was just forced to retire, has done such a great job of building that team up. Uh, they're def- especially defensively, they've got a number of pro prospects. A guy, uh, that, you know, in, in terms of Devondre Campbell, who plays on the outside, is a strong side linebacker for them. I've always been really, really intrigued by because he's got great length and great athleticism. Uh, Eric Murray and Brian Body Calhoun, a corner. Theron Cochran, as well as getting some love up front of the defensive line. So there's some defensive prospects there. So. When you look at Ohio State and what, what do they need to do, they've got four games left. at Illinois, They've got Minnesota this week, then they're at Illinois. Michigan State and Michigan are obviously the two big games. If Cardell Jones can come out this week against Minnesota and a, and a defense, again, that's got a number of pro prospects and show that he can be the guy, then I don't, I'll be interested to see if, if Urban Meyer decides to go back to him full-time or if he go, after declaring JT Barrett the starter a week ago, does he go back to JT Barrett and try and mix these up? So I think Cardell Jones, this is the time last year when he came in, he stepped in because Barrett got hurt uh, and he took control of the team and he was in off and running. 
now will Jones be able to do the same thing? And I think overall, I think Jones really on this team has the most to offer in terms of uh, are they going to run the table and make it into the uh, into the playoff? Because this is obviously a huge opportunity for him. It's so remarkable what Cardell Jones did a year ago, coming in for the conference championship game, and then from there guiding the Buckeyes to the playoffs. And maybe you know he went through the crazy off season of the. Is he going to declare for the NFL draft, which is three games under his belt? Uh, maybe this was the wake of call that he needed sure. to, you know, to get benched, to have to sit for a couple weeks on the sideline, and have this great opportunity open up in front of him, and maybe he'll take advantage of it. So, yeah, you, a guy that obviously he's got all the physical tools. I mean, he's the combination of size, his athleticism, his arm strength—it's rare. It's a rare combination of skills. But he's just been so inconsistent. And Ezekiel Elliott is the—he is the guy for Ohio State. He's the guy who carried them last year. He's going to be the guy that's going to carry them this year. But if they're going to make a make waves in the playoff again, it's going to come down to Cardell Jones. And can he not just win the game, but can he not lose the game? And that's yeah. that's going to be that's what it's going to uh, what it's going to come down to for him moving forward. So that's why I went with Jones there. But uh, moving on. Everyone wants to talk about the SEC. So there's two teams, I think, that you really look at. And there's a number of teams that, you know, LSU, obviously, with Fournette and what they can do. Uh, I think everyone knows they're going to play good defense. They're going to run the ball. But you look at Florida in the East, who uh, has really just surprised everybody, surprised me and what they've been able to do this year. And they're led by that defense. And a guy, Jonathan Bullard, who we talked about earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. Bullard has got outstanding size. We talked about the versatility. The defense is what makes that team go. The running game has been up and down. Will Greer is out, so Treon Harris is in at quarterback. Uh, the offense, I think they're going to they're try and manufacture points, but defensively, that's the strength of this team. That's what it was, allowed them to beat Ole Miss at home. I think that that's what gives them the opportunity to beat an LSU, which they almost did on the road a couple weeks back. Uh, it gives them the opportunity. Once they get through the rest of the schedule, they've got – They've got Vanderbilt this week. Then you've got South Carolina, who's down, FAU, and then Florida State at home. And that's the big thing. Can you beat Florida State at home in that rivalry game? Then you've got the SEC title. And if you can go and play an Alabama, an LSU, an Ole Miss, and steal a you'll victory, get in. You you'll should get, get into in. the Final you'll Four. Be, you'll be 12-1, and one and you'll get in, in the SEC. You'll get into the Final Four. So uh, if this defense led by Bullard, we talked about guys like Antonio Morrison, uh, Vernon Hargreaves in the secondary, mm-hmm. uh, just a number of different guys. McAllister I brought up earlier. Brian Cox Jr. as well is an, as an edge rusher for them. A lot of different players in that in that defense. You know, Ken Bullard lead the way for them moving forward. So that's why I went with Bullard. So number two there. So we've got Bullard from Florida. We got Cardell Jones from Ohio State. Yep, and then so Alabama staying in the SEC. Uh, they got that that early loss against Ole Miss, and uh, it seems that this happens every year to Alabama. And look, they're going to have to get through this week. This is the this is the week you got You have to play LSU. Uh, honestly, it's my favorite college football game to watch every single year, really? just because of the guys on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, really, really excited about this game. But Jerron Reed is a left defensive end. Paired, he's a senior. He's paired up with uh, Ashawn Robinson on the right side. Reed is 6'4", 315 pounds, played his first year of collegiate football last year. He was a JUCO guy uh, that arrived at Alabama, can win in a number of different ways. He's quick off the ball, but really his pow- his uh, calling card is his strength and power and his ability to dominate in the run game, which he's been very, very disruptive all season long. So going up against LSU and Leonard Fournette, it's going to be huge. If they can beat LSU, now you're at Mississippi State, then you've got Charleston Southern, and then you've got Auburn in the Iron Bowl. We all know that Auburn's having a down year, so – you get through that, and then you beat the SEC East. Alabama, despite having that early loss to Ole Miss, who has just gone downhill since then, uh, I think, at, at, again, at 12-1, and one, 
they're going to go into the playoff and will, how far will they go led by this defensive front and Jaron Reed is, is just outstanding. It's probably, I feel like every year everyone wants Alabama to get in there even with the one loss. It's just at this point with those undefeated teams and the quality that those guys have played at, can't take them out of those top few spots. So. Exactly. And that's why I, I think with the playoff, and again, we're filming this Monday morning, the playoff seeds will get announced uh, Tuesday night. I would imagine they're not going to be in the top four yet. But no, despite the no. fact you know, that the competition and the way that they're playing right now, and that's what the playoff committee is, is uh, designed to do, is pick who are the four best teams right now. That will obviously change over the next few weeks. I think they at this point last year when they did their first uh, – their first prognotation, you know, their first uh, oh, ranking. question. Okay. I think it was only one of the four teams that was actually in. I think Ohio State was like 15 at that time. Uh, I believe it was only one team, and it may have been Florida State. Alabama may have been in there as well now that I'm thinking about it. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall this is what it's going to come down to is can Alabama run the table the rest of the way? Because I would imagine a two-loss team is not going to make it in. So you're going to no. need – whoever this SEC team is, whether it's LSU, whether it's Florida – I can't imagine that Ole Miss gets in with two losses. Although, if they win the West and then go and they beat Florida in the SEC title, they're going to have a, they're going to have the opportunity to uh, to prove their point. So let's see. So last year, I'm looking at real quick. This was on uh, October 28th, the first ranking. Number one was Mississippi State. Yep, that's right. Seven and zero. Florida State. Yep, was number two. Auburn. Auburn six and didn't one. make it. Yep. Ole Miss. Ole Miss didn't make it. So there you go. One of the, one of the four. So Oregon, Alabama. They were, Oregon and Alabama State. were five and six. And then Ohio, Ohio State was 16. There you go. So, I mean, that's, so much can change right now. Wow. You look at – and everyone's talking about Iowa because the rest of their schedule – is obviously you know they they don't play any of the big the big teams in the in the Big Ten so you don't they don't have Michigan they don't have Ohio State they don't have Michigan State however they are going to play that team one of those teams in the, the Big Ten title so if they go undefeated regular season and then beat Ohio State or beat Michigan State uh, you know or whoever they have to beat in the uh, in the Big Ten title game. Now you you say okay you you are thirteen and zero and you have that quality win you're yeah. not that team's going to make it in uh, so it'll it'll come down to a lot of different factors who comes out of the SEC how many teams come out of the SEC is it a two loss team out of the SEC uh, that'll go a long way Pac twelve as well because Stanford looks like they're playing their best football right now albeit they you know they won by the skin of their teeth against Washington State this past week they're a one loss team they got they got embarrassed at home by Northwestern in week one of the season so. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be very, very interesting as, as the last few weeks pan out. But uh, we'll kind of get through the rest of these teams here. Shaq Lawson from Clemson, one of the best undefeated teams still left on the board here. Uh, one of the top edge rushers in the country, 6'3", 275 pounds. Got a chance to watch him for the first time recently. And overall, I thought Lawson looked the part of an NFL DN. He's a good athlete. He comes off the ball really well. I love the way that he's able to attack offensive tackles. He wins with a wide array of pass rush moves. And the fact that he can win in so many different ways will appeal to NFL scouts, I think. But uh, I think he's good solid effort against the run. I'd like, to get him, I'd like to see him get a little bit better in that area, get a little bit stronger at the point of attack. I don't know yet if I think he's a top 15 type of guy. I want to continue to watch more, but I think he's a good player. And the rest of the way, they've got Florida State this week. you got Syracuse on the road, Wake Forest, and at South Carolina again, who's down. So you get through Florida State this week, and this is a big week college football because you've got Clemson, Florida State, Alabama, LSU. If Clemson can get by this week, you get to the ACC title, and you should win that game. They could go, they're gonna, they could go undefeated. Now it's a question of, you know, if they don't go undefeated and they go 12-1, and one, if they lose to Florida State, does a one-loss Clemson team make it into the top four? 
will be very, very interesting to see. But uh, Lawson is a very, very impressive guy. Again, I don't think that the quarterback play has been great from Deshaun Watson. I think a lot of people expected a little bit more from them. Their offense continues to put points on the board. Uh, it'll just be a question of can their defense keep pace with some of these other top teams. So are you saying defense wins championships here? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's what happened last year. I think Ohio State obviously had great quarterback play in terms of not turning the ball over. You know, you had a great running game from Ezekiel Elliott, uh, and you asked Cardell Jones to make a play here and a play there. Yeah, and you Devin had that Smith defense. who just yeah. stretches the field. Yeah, you and had a vertical threat. Yards. Exactly right. And, you know, how did they when, – uh, when, they, when they had that one big touchdown in the title game – it was uh, Evan Spencer, a receiver, throwing a touchdown. You know, t- so they, they were manufacturing some points here and there for Ohio State. I think that you play good defense, ultimately that's going to that's gonna take you a long way. So uh, regardless of how many points you can score. So we'll, we'll see. It'll be very, very interesting, and especially for this team that I'm getting ready to talk about, and that's TCU. Uh, this Big 12 is going to be very interesting because you have an undefeated Oklahoma State who had another big win this past week. You've got Baylor. You've got TCU. And Oklahoma's got one loss, but they still control their own destiny because they still play a number of these big teams. So you've got those four teams. Didn't you learn from Chip Kelly, you don't control your destiny? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but either way, yes. you've, got, you've got Josh Dotson, a guy who's 6'3", 193 pounds. Talked about him earlier in the show. I really liked his skill set. I thought he needed to refine a lot of the things that he did in terms of getting off the line of scrimmage and his route running. I thought he got better at the latter this year. He's shown the ability to win in the small game. We've always known that he can win in the big game. He's so, so good at the catch point. Uh, such a smooth athlete and going up and getting the football makes things look easy sometimes. But getting off the line of scrimmage has been his, his big thing, has been so productive for them. If they can run the table, obviously they're going to make it in. They have a matchup. This is the meat of their schedule. They've got at Oklahoma State, then they're Kansas at home, then they're at Oklahoma, and then they're a versus Baylor at home. So, that, that, that's they're going to earn their way into it. And one of those teams is going to earn their way in. So whether it's Baylor, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's Oklahoma State, who really has come out of nowhere, really the only prospects coming out of Oklahoma State that everyone knows about is Emmanuel Ogba. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of talked about it in the past, so I don't really think that Ogba is a, a great NFL prospect. So uh, very, very interesting to see how this Big 12 pans out. All right. Last but not least, pick six. Jalen Smith, Notre Dame. And you, you look at it. The rest of their schedule. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, they've got they've got Pitt on the road. They've got Wake. They've got Boston College, and then they're at Stanford, uh, number nine. Who, yeah. So if Stanford can win the rest of the way, you figure that uh, you know they'll be uh, probably in that five six range by the time you get there because they're number nine number nine now. You're gonna have some of these other teams in the top ten uh, drop out a little bit. I would imagine that if you, Notre Dame goes on the road, they're ranked what now? They got to be eighth. Uh, it's eight nine. They're right now. They're, yeah, back, so they're, back they're back. ranked eighth. If they go on the road and beat beat Stanford and that some of the other wins they've already got on their schedule with the only loss coming on the road to Clemson. A close loss to Clemson, so I would imagine that they'll have they'll have a, a good resume with the ability to get in. So uh I think that they've got a case to make. Jalen Smith's the best player on this team. Uh they'll need him the rest of the way uh if they're gonna make their case. Interesting. Wouldn't have thought that Notre Dame, even with the one loss and the potential schedule ahead, would have a chance at it, but and with all the injuries they've had. I yeah. mean, it's, it's been uh, – I think that's kind of flown under the radar. You, you, you lose your quarterback. You lose your first two running backs. You lose starting def- uh, defensive end in preseason. I mean, they've just lost players throughout the season that, have, that people thought were going to be big contributors for them moving forward. All right, so there's your pick six. Now we're going to transition to our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. 
All right, so to get things going here on the draft mailbag, some good questions, not just from a prospect standpoint, but from a philosophical standpoint. Uh, let's dive into it. Since we talked a lot about Notre Dame in light of the game against Temple, Wilton Houston on Twitter wants to know about Deshaun Kaiser as a prospect. Yeah, a guy that obviously an underclassman that no one really knew much about coming into the year, so I didn't do any work on him coming into the season. And just watching them both live, you know, obviously I got to see them live on Saturday, and then watching a couple games on TV because I always seem to uh, be on my couch when Notre Dame's playing. Uh, obviously he has the athletic tools that have allowed him to succeed so far in his young career. He's made some big-time throws at times, and you know, I can remember the – the throw he made late in the game coming off the bench cold against Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. that throw he made to down to Will Fuller in the, on the left sideline was outstanding. Um, and he's made some of those plays. I want to see him be a little bit more consistent. I, I didn't think that he threw the ball too poorly uh, on Saturday, but uh, I do want to dig more into him. I don't know that he's a, that he's going to be a top-level NFL prospect, but uh, a guy that's interesting moving forward. A good college player, to say the very least. No, no so, question yeah. about that. I mean, he's definitely earned his keep. I don't know that uh, he'll start over Malik Zaire next year, but yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. All right, next one comes from Adam DeVoren. Uh, wants to know about the ceiling for Shalik Calhoun of Michigan State. He's a player who has generated a lot of buzz before the start of the season. Uh, but going back to Josh Norris's prospect rankings, he's number seven among the edge rushers, with number six being another big name that hasn't really been talked about of late, Baylor's Sean Oakman. Sure. So what do you see of Calhoun, and how high do you think he could go potentially in the draft? Well, the buzz for him started back in 2013. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was a redshirt sophomore. Uh, that was Michigan State's big year. They went on. They won the Rose Bowl. You know, there was the Max Bulla and you know some of the other big names they had uh, on that defense. But um, you know Calhoun has always been in the limelight because of his size uh, and his ability to uh, disrupt because of his athleticism and because of his strength at the point of attack. You know you, when you watch him, you you want to like him more. I think that he's you think he's a really good player, no question about it. And I think that uh, you know he's going to get drafted relatively high. Do I think he's a top 15 pick? I, I don't think that he's that because he's not that that turn the corner, win off the ball consistently uh, kind of disruptive edge rusher. He's not a bad player either, and he can win with his athleticism. That's why in the past I've, uh, I've kind of compared him to Chandler Jones, who was a first-round pick still uh, out of Syracuse to New England and has been a, a good player for them. Um, you know, I, I, think that, <clears throat> I think that Calhoun is that kind of a player. Now the question is, is where will he rank in this draft class? We've talked in the past. It's not a great edge rush group. Josh has him ranked number seven in a not great pass rush group. So uh, we'll see with Calhoun. All right. Next question comes from at double underscore Shan29 on Twitter. Wants to know, do the Eagles go offensive line in first round because of the perceived need or because of the statuses of maybe Fletcher Cox in a couple of years, said Thornton's going to be a free agent. Do they have to consider defensive line? So it's a good question from that standpoint. I like the standpoint of you can't ignore the defensive line. You know, just because you might say, hey, we're, we're great there right now, you need to look ahead a couple of years, and I can go back to the 2002 draft where the Eagles took Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown sure. in the first and second rounds, even though they had Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor on the roster. Yeah, and I, I think that – Overall, and you know how I feel about it, I've, I've always been a, a best player type of, course, of guy when, yeah, it, comes, when it comes to the draft. But um, one thing that looking back on the, you know, with this team, especially under Chip Kelly, they have always done a really good job of when before you get to a draft, if you had to play, instead of having the draft on April 28th, uh, 
instead of having the draft that day, if they had to play a game, the Eagles could line up and play a game. They had bodies that they felt comfortable with saying, you know, in the years past, and it's sometimes it's worked out really, really well. Other times, you know, it, ha- it hasn't worked out. You look at a guy like Walter Thurmond, who they bought in late in the free agency period, uh, a guy that they thought, okay, he can play corner, he could potentially play safety, could, we know he can play in the slot, so he can play a number of different roles for us. If we think that we don't have, if we think we have a need at this spot, we know that he can fill a number of different roles. Uh, Miles Austin. Very similar. Signed late in the free agency period. They thought, okay, we, we lose Jeremy Macklin. Uh, we've, we've lost a couple other players. We've lost a Brad Smith. He could come in and be a veteran for us, and if we need to play, we know Miles Austin can, can give us some snaps. That way, if we go into the draft and we don't get Nelson Aguilar, let's say they don't draft Nelson Aguilar and they draft, uh, you know, I don't know, somebody else, if they draft yeah. another player in the first round, now you had somebody there that was able to take some snaps at, at the wide receiver position, and I think that that's the way that they'll handle pretty, every position moving forward. If they think that they've got a need going into the draft, they're not going to rely solely on the first or second round to fill no. that need. They're going to they're allow themselves the flexibility to draft best player available, and that's the absolutely the best way to do it. If you can go in and say, we're going to sign a guy a, a lower contract right before the draft just to make sure that if we need him, we have him. Uh, and then that allows us to to not compromise ourselves on draft day, you know, in the draft room and, and take a guy that may not be ranked as highly as a player in another position. Because all you have to do is look at Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks. He's going to exactly be the right. – he'll be – anytime this comes up, he will be the textbook example of why you have to take the best player sure. available because of the fact that you could have easily said they got Kendricks and D'Amico and Kiko and, you know, Najee Good was still on the team at that point. And Acho had played significant snaps. Well – Obviously, look at the role that Jordan Hicks has played exactly right. for the team this season. So, certainly, it also matters where do the Eagles end up drafting and who ends up coming out and who are the players that are going to be available at exactly. that spot. But I don't think there's any question, though, the Eagles need to have some kind of concerted effort to inject youth into the offensive line. No question. This offseason. And I think that I can see them attacking it the way that they attacked, say, inside linebacker this past year. I think it's just a matter of who's available. Right. That's what it comes down to. Quickly. All right. The last question, and uh, I think our favorite definitely of the day here, comes from John Teagan at jteagan85 on Twitter. Uh, he went through, John went through the pre-draft visits and noted that the Eagles had over 20 visits from receivers and defensive backs before the draft and only three of offensive linemen. So does the best player available philosophy break down when you have that kind of disparity? I don't look at it that way because – you're simply trying to get to know more about those players. And maybe you have questions exactly. that you need to get answered that you couldn't answer at the Senior Bowl, Shrine Game, Combine, that film couldn't show you. You know, whether it's, you know, just getting to know them on a more personal basis from a character standpoint, whether it's whiteboard work, there, there are just certain things that they think the Eagles may have had more questions about those players going into it. Um, then they had the offensive lineman. Uh, but I think you also would say that from a talent standpoint, that's just where they may have had some of these players ranked going to this draft as compared to maybe the offensive lineman. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is that if, they, if you're saying, oh, well, how come they didn't bring in a lot of offensive linemen? Well, the offensive lineman that they were interested in they could have talked to at the Combine. They could have talked to at the Senior Bowl. They could have talked to at the Shrine Game. They could have talked to uh, at their Pro Day. They could have mm-hmm. gone and done personal visits off-site. Uh, so there's all kinds of different scenarios where they could have talked to a guy away from the field that didn't have to be the in-house visit. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. There's all, you know, Like you talked about, all of your points were absolutely 100% correct. And then also, and we, we have 
you know, you and I have no idea if the Eagles do this, but there's always been reports from every team in the league that they bring in guys as a smokescreen, and you know, they want to they want to make people believe that they're uh, that they're interested in certain players. So that's why you don't want to take too much into the into the visits. Obviously, they they play they do play a role. A lot of the players that the Eagles have drafted have come in on visits yes. or did visit with them at the combine. Doesn't seem like the Eagles have done smokescreens. Yeah, I mean, in the past, at least the perception is exactly. you go down the list here. Right. So. Uh, you know, but that's always on the table. So it's really it's a it's an interesting question. I was really glad uh, that you asked it because I think that there's, you know, you could do a, a, a long discussion, a much longer discussion just on this topic. But uh, overall, I think it and it goes back to the previous question. The Eagles are going to take the best players available, uh, who they think is you know the best fit for what they do, both on and off the field. And the visits and the the stuff away from it is a big part of it. I would just. I don't have the rankings right in front of me, and I don't want to go look up right the second, but the draft class was heavy receiver. There were a lot of good defensive backs. It wasn't a strong offensive line class. That doesn't no, preclude them stretch. from bringing sure. doesn't preclude them from bringing guys in for visits or looking into them. But still, I think that probably weighs a big factor into it as well. Not so much the fact that you could say the Eagles had needs at those positions, and obviously they end up addressing them. But just the fact that. That's where the talent was in exactly. this draft. Exactly. And you, you, there were the guys like the, the Donovan Smiths from Penn State that everyone thought that the Eagles were interested in. Uh, you know, some of the I think the kid from Utah that I'm struggling to remember. Putassi. Putassi, right? Who's, yeah. So you've got all these guys. But again, you have the, the personal one-on-one visits for the you know, pre-draft at the team facility. But you have those 15-minute sit-downs one-on-one with a player uh, at the Combine, very similar to what you've got at the Senior Bowl, and then also at the Pro Day and those pre-draft workouts. There's all kinds of different scenarios where those can happen. So interest comes in a lot of different forms pre-draft. Yeah. All right, so uh, great questions there. Thank you very much for sending them in. I think that's going to do it for us here. On Another this, week. Uh, this uh, edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for listening. Make sure to uh, rate and comment wherever you consume your podcast. And we'll be back with a new episode next Sunday ahead of the Eagles-Cowboys primetime showdown. Until then, have a great week, everyone.